Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And we've heard from Isaiah, and now we're about to hear from Luke. May you speak to us through your word. As your people gather to worship you today. May it comfort us. May it challenge us. May it convict us. May it change us. May I ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I had one introduction sort of prepared for today. And then Charles, he reminded me that it's Valentine's Day on Thursday. And then I had such a better introduction. And Meg is not in here, I don't think, right now. So this is, for me, one of the, the most challenging things about being married. It's something like Valentine's Day, all right? Because this is how it goes. And, and this is maybe how it goes in your house. There's no expectation voiced that you need to do anything for Valentine's Day. So I'll tell Megan, you don't need to get me anything. And she'll say, you don't need to get me anything either. But, now this is where marriage is hard. So for those of you who are single... Okay, just be happy that, that this is one of the things about marriage that's so frustrating, so you don't have to worry about this, right? You are free because you don't have to try to read someone else's mind and meet the expectations that they have that they don't tell you. Because on Valentine's Day, I know if I don't get anything, I mean, Megan won't be mad, but she'll be disappointed and unhappy about it. She might not even say anything, but I'll just know. Even if she doesn't get me anything. Which probably will be the case because I'll, have, I'll be able to go and she'll be stuck home with all these kids. She won't be able to go anywhere. So I guess the trade-off's fair. That's my gift. <laughs> but these unforeseen expectations and how do you respond to those expectations? It's one of the hardest things about marriage. Now here's an interesting question. What are the expectations that we should have about how we react when we meet God? Or what are God's expectations about how we respond when we meet him? Now that's a different question. What are God's expectations about how we should respond when we meet him? Now what's interesting is the Bible has lots of examples, maybe not lots, but a handful of examples of people meeting God. And what's interesting is in pretty much every circumstance, their response is almost instinctual. As in there's something about God that makes humans react a certain way. But now we add Jesus into the mix. He is a human with us. How do we respond to Jesus? Now Luke records and talks about responding to Jesus in chapter 5 of his gospel. So if you want to take out your, your pew Bible and turn to Luke chapter 5. Or you want to take out your Bible you brought from home or your phone or something. Luke chapter 5, uh, pew Bible is page 893. So we're going to take a look at this passage. Now we've been in Luke for a couple weeks now. And last week we talked about Luke chapter 4. Now in Luke chapter 4, we saw Jesus speaking to his home crowd in Nazareth. And we said that Jesus was encouraging his hometown 
to respond to him a certain way. So Luke has already shown us one response to Jesus. It was Nazareth. Does anyone remember how they responded? Yeah, right? They wanted to throw him off the cliff. So Jesus tried to challenge them to reframe the way they saw him. And their response was, okay, we're going to throw you off the cliff. So that's one response. So let's take a look at verse, chapter 5, verse 1, as Luke shows us another response. So one day, as Jesus was standing by the, the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So Jesus has been traveling around Galilee. He's been healing people. He's been teaching. He's been gathering followers. And now he goes to the lake of Gennesaret. Gennesaret. It's a hard one. Now, when I read this lake, I was like, I don't know anything about that. So I looked, and turns out this is another name for the Sea of Galilee. So if you've heard the Sea of Galilee before, that's all they're talking about here. Now, if you think about Jerusalem, and uh, if you think about Israel, the Sea of Galilee is in the north, and then the Jordan River flows out of it to the, to the Dead Sea south of uh, just south of Jerusalem a little bit. So this is where Jesus and is at. And he's been around Galilee preaching. And people are gathering to hear what he has to say. Now this is how Luke continues in verse 2. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So the crowds are gathering around Jesus and they're pushing in on him. So he decides to get into a boat to have a little bit of space. And actually, we think we know that where this happened. And you can see this. I saw it on Google. There's pictures of this little cove. And it's actually like a natural amphitheater. So Jesus is in the water and then there's cliffs all around. And then people can sit and listen. So he's in this boat. Now there's two fishermen nearby cleaning nets. And Jesus asks one of them if he can get in the boat. Now what's important is that we notice what they say here. That there's two fishermen cleaning nets. That's an important detail we're going to see in a little bit. So Luke asks Simon if he can get in his boat. Now we don't know this because we haven't read chapter 4 completely. But we meet Simon in verses 38 and 39 of chapter 4. Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. So Simon knows a little bit about Jesus. And odds are Jesus is like, well, I know I recognize you, so will you help me out and let me sit on your boat? So now this is where we need to gather what's going on in the story. Because what Luke's doing in the narrative of the story, the story that he is telling that is the gospel, he's saying, okay, first Nazareth responded to Jesus in this way. They tried to throw him off the cliff. And then Carpernum, which we did not read about, responded to Jesus in this way. I'm going to tell you. Jesus was healing and teaching and performing miracles. And people were so excited about him that in the, the next morning, Jesus goes out to pray in, somewhere in the countryside. And the people can't wait for him to come back to town. They go find him. And then he leaves. So what's implied, I think, is that 
They were finding Jesus because he had something that they wanted. And their response to him was, how can you help me? So now we're going to see another response. But this encourages all of us to stop and consider, how do we respond to Jesus? We all need to ask this question. Our faith is a faith of community, but the individuals make decisions about being a part of that community. There might be people here who have sat in the pews for years, and this is true of every church. But just because you've sat here for years doesn't mean that you've responded in your heart to the mission of Jesus. Now that's an important thing for all of us to consider. We might have heard, but have we responded? Now the story takes a shift here in verse 4. Luke doesn't tell us about what Jesus teaches. He doesn't tell us about how the crowd responds. Instead, this is what he tells us in verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. So now Jesus turns to Simon and he says, okay, we're already in your boat. Let's go fish. And now this is going to push Simon to respond to Jesus. So now it's about Simon. It's not about the crowds. It's about Simon. You need to respond, Simon. So this is how Simon initially responds in verse 5. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So Simon has been out with his partners and they've been fishing all night. And he tells us they haven't caught anything. So now Simon's faced with a choice. He's like, I've been out all night and I haven't caught anything. And now this guy's telling me to go back out. Now there's some things that in the story that we just can't catch. Because we're not first century fishermen. And we don't know anything about their lives. There's some details that make this more clear. So first, remember I told you that there was a, a detail that the fishermen were cleaning their nets. Now this is an important detail because there's three types of nets we think were used by fishermen in the first century on the Sea of Galilee. And one of them was called, i got to find it. One of them was called a tremel net. So this net was made of fabric. So every time after it was used, it had to be washed off because it didn't have holes, nothing could come through it. Anything that gathered had to be cleaned off. Now there's another important thing about this, this net. Because it was fabric, they had to fish at night because the fish could see it. So if the fish could see it, it decreases their odds, so they fished at night. And then we also think maybe they were fishing at night because... As anyone who fishes, I think, knows, I've heard this said, it's better to fish at night or early morning because the fish are more active. Don't know if that's true, but I read it. Some, someone who was talking about this passage, a scholar, also said that. So, it's better to fish at night. Definitely better to fish at night so the fish don't see your net. <clears throat> so now, this is Peter's circumstances. He knows the conditions are not right to catch fish. And he also knows that when they were the best conditions possible to catch fish, that they didn't catch any fish. And now Jesus, who's a rabbi, he's not a fisherman, he's not going to know anything about fishing, is asking him to go back out and fish. So this is what is going on in Simon's mind. He's like, okay, I'm tired. 
Didn't catch any fish. I just want to go home and sleep. This guy is asking me to go back out at the worst possible time to fish. So now Simon has to make the choice. In the rest of verse 5, this is what he says. He says, but because you say so, Jesus, I had that part, I will let down the nets. Something inside Simon told him to trust Jesus. Now Simon had already seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law. But there was lots of people who had seen Jesus heal. But now Jesus is asking Simon to do something that doesn't make sense in his fisherman mind. So now he has to choose to go against his own expertise and his own experience to trust what Jesus tells him. And this is how his trust pays off. Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Simon's faithfulness paid off. And he gets such a large catch that their nets almost break and their boats almost sink. So this puts an important question before us. Does faithfulness and obedience to God guarantee a big payout? Simon got a great payday because he was obedient to Jesus. Now there's people who'd want to tell you that's true. But I'm not going to tell you that because I think in most cases that might not be true. Now Jesus was seen if Simon would be obedient But Simon's life following Jesus ended up not being quite as beneficial as this first act of obedience. But the point is, when we're obedient to God, he works through us. Even when that obedience is asking us to do something that might hurt us, that might be hard, might challenge us to face something in our own selves that we've been looking away from for so long, But when we're faithful and obedient to Jesus, he works through us. Just like he worked through Simon. And Jesus continues to work through Simon throughout his life. Because as we saw in verse 8, it's Simon Peter, the apostle we all know, who went on to do many things in the name of Jesus out of obedience. When we're obedient, God will work through us. But there's more to the story than Simon's obedience. The story continues in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So Simon, after he's had a chance to assess the situation, the boat's balanced, it's not going to sink, he looks at Jesus and his response isn't the response of a man who sees someone who got lucky. His response is, you must be from God. And he falls on his knees and he says, I am not worthy to be in the presence of you because you are holy. Holy. 
Simon knows that he's a sinner and that he does not deserve to be in the presence of someone who is holy. So what are the responses we've seen so far now? We've seen the response in in Nazareth. Throw Jesus off the cliff. We've seen the response in Capernaum. Hey Jesus, what can I get from you? And then now we've seen the response of Peter. Get away from me, Lord. You are so holy, I cannot be in your presence. Just like the response of Isaiah that we heard in the first reading today. Peter shows us the proper response to Jesus. He's obedient. He follows his wishes. And then also he understands his place. Now does it mean that Simon knew that Jesus was God? Not yet. But as we see the Gospels unfold... What Jesus is calling us to is to recognize our place in relationship to his Father. And then to respond to his call of repentance and obedience. To follow the will of God. So this is an important question for us. Do we think about our position to God? Do we think about The fact that we might not be worthy to be in his presence. Now I'm not talking about in a self-deprecating way where we can't stand to be around ourselves. But do we have a healthy understanding of our position in relation to our creator? Because that is instrumental in understanding who we are as humans and who we are as people. We are not gods. We cannot create our own destiny. We are simply creatures made by the God of the universe, made to be in relationship and to be obedient to him. Peter gives us a simple example of how we're supposed to respond. When Jesus calls, repent and obey. When Jesus calls, repent and obey. This is the proper response to Jesus. When Jesus calls, repent and obey. But the story doesn't end here. Verse 10 ends this way. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So even though the response we should have is that we're not worthy to be in God's presence, that we need to repent and obey him, The good news of the gospel is that we get to participate in the work of God in the world. When Jesus calls, we repent and obey, and we follow him into the work he is calling us to do. And what did Simon and James and John go on to do? Well, Peter has written books in the Bible. James... was one of the first Christians killed. John has written books. They were obedient, and they got to be a part of the work of God. When Jesus calls, repent and obey. 
So all of us today, we need to look in the mirrors. How do we respond when we meet God? How do we respond? When Jesus calls, do we repent and obey? Now repentance is, is a word that we, it's hard for us to understand. Repentance is simply this. Understanding our position in relation to God and acting accordingly. It's realizing that we aren't our own gods. We don't get to make our own decisions in our life. And we put our obedience back into our creator. And then obedience is simply doing the work of Jesus. It's reading the Bible and living what Jesus has called us to do. It's living a life after Christ. It's conforming our ways to the ways of God. And it's what we're going to talk about next week. The ways of the kingdom. When Jesus calls, repent and obey. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your spirit would convict us today. Convict the places in our lives where we need to repent and obey. We ask that you be faithful in our lives. Be faithful whenever we are obedient, and we know that you will be. We know that you're faithful even when we're not obedient, but so much more faithful when we are obedient. May you use us in your world to live out the mission of your kingdom. May we as a community be as an embassy of the kingdom of God. May people step into our doors and experience your grace and love and peace. May we be a place where your will is lived out and where people encounter you as we obediently follow the ways you set out before us. And we ask this in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.